Earbud Media. Audio for everyone. Hi, I'm Shayna. And I'm Bryce. And this is Charmed, Charmed, a a Spellcast. Hey you listening there, have you heard about the witches with the really nice hair and a penchant for 90s style and kicking ass and taking names when names are worthwhile and knowing how to fight like girls in this patriarchal demon infested world they're the charmed ones they're the charmed ones they're the charmed ones charmed a spellcast hi bryce how are you doing i'm actually doing pretty okay i today is maybe like also slow brain day for me because I was out karaokeing last night and so I oh shit <laughs> I'm trying to recover from that today but all in all I think I've been having a pretty good couple of weeks because friends like really good friends from California have been visiting back to back the past two weeks and getting to see their faces has really been um it just like recenters me makes me feel Aww. like yeah like a these are good people, and that's what matters. That's lovely. Um, if you hear some scratching in the background, that is the dog. Oh. He is uh, scratching on a big pillow and trying to make sure that he sets it correctly. Yes. So he I can to- lie down. <laughs> totally understand. Oh, okay, one more of my manner keeping then that I want to share is that recently I went to the Brooklyn Cat Cafe, and there was a cat there named Ray of Sunshine, and he has cerebral hyperplasia which means that his muscles don't respond very well to his brain and he's like a healthy cat but he just like can't walk that well anyway he was a big old floppy boy he was so cute just seeing that video that it took Mm. of him just spilling all over the floor he looked like a very very sweet cat he did he he had a, he's like a very young cat too so he's a lot of energy and he wants to like barrel in and like say hi to people but you know when he barrels in he like does a couple of flips and flops because he's not not too good at the walking it reminds me of like whenever you see baby animals especially baby animals who like have very long legs like a baby giraffe yeah and baby horses like a- yeah, a foal or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they just, they don't know what to do with these <laughs> limbs that will that will be so important to them and become their strong, strongest assets throughout their life. But in this case, no. <laughs> they're, um, no. They're so gangly. Mm-hmm. I was like that. Oh, yeah. I was, I was a very gangly youth. Mm. I, was, I was tall. Oh, yeah, you were tall. <laughs> Still are. I was... I was I was tall at one point. Well, I was tall. Now I do not feel as tall because compa- in comparison to everyone. But in like fourth or fifth grade, I was the tallest person in the class. Dang. Um, and I was like, hey guys, oh, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> it was I was very always, silly. I was always short and stout, like a little teapot. Mm-hmm. You know what? I think there's a lot of value in that. <laughs> Um, how's um, what? Huh? Oh, ah, ah, e, e, that's you go first. I was gonna say that I'm done with my manner keeping, and I'd love to hear how you're doing. 
Oh, thank you. Um, I am doing fine. I actually had a question for you going back to the first thing you said, which was, uh, what are your karaoke songs that you performed? Um, let's see. We did... Now it's like just a blur. Oh, we did a bunch of Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. Um, we did... I think we did a couple of Japanese songs because Zach used to karaoke in Japan and he like... There's all these Japanese songs that are like super popular to karaoke to. Oh, Liana queued up our song from Taylor Swift, but she didn't know how to use the like fancy um, karaoke box queue up machine. It was like it was like really intense. It, 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 I didn't understand it, but anyway, she did not know how to use it, so she accidentally queued up our song eight times. <laughs> oh no! Oh dear. <laughs> And did you sing it all eight times? Oh, we did not. We were kicked out. Oh, oh no. <laughs> Rightfully so. There was a there was a reservation. Okay, fine. <laughs> it's against our policy for anyone to play Taylor Swift <laughs> eight, eight times. times in a row. <laughs> Seven, fine. Eight, you're out of here. Oh, dude. And then, okay, last thing I'll say. Um, Liana and Zach did a couple of duets. They did Master of the House from Les Mis, mm-hmm. and then they also did um, what I've been looking for, the Ryan and Sharpay version from High School Musical. Oh my god. I, was there any video evidence of this? Oh, you bet there was. Okay, good. Good, good, good. I feel like our listeners are going to deserve it. <laughs> um, not not as a blackmail per se, just as like extra material for the pod. <laughs> you know? You know? Um, yeah. I'm very glad to hear of the fun that you so clearly had. It sounds like a rollicking good time. Mm-hmm. We had a big ruckus. I was about to say, um, I was going to be really dramatic and be like, I'm having a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not like having a bad time, actually. I'm just having a time. Um, as always, I... Would love to do some karaoke very soon. Actually, I think that would be fun. I've never actually done karaoke, like, in a public place or, like, in a karaoke bar or anything. Mm-hmm. No, you've... So... We've been to Murray's Crisis, though. Right, but that's not karaoke. Ah, that's not karaoke. Murray's Crisis, for anyone who doesn't know, is a piano bar at which everything revolves around the one piano player and song leader in the center... And on, like, Tuesdays and Fridays, I want to say evenings, they do all musical theater nights. <laughs> um, it's very fun. You can request songs. Everyone can request songs. And they'll do big medleys and stuff like that. But, okay, so I guess I guess that's karaoke. But I, I was thinking in the very traditional sense. Mm-hmm. I was, I was just like, thinking, yeah, go on. Oh, of, like, queuing up the machine or, like, requesting the song. Mm-hmm. And all of the songs are, like pop songs that everyone knows or you know that kind of a thing yeah to to me i guess i was just thinking of like singing along with people in a public place like that to me was just on par of karaoke interesting listeners we have a we have a, a debate for you to settle chime in below what is karaoke i think you know it gets kind of existential when you like really go into it, and I'm I'm looking forward to what are sure to be a multitude of heated conversations. 
That's what we do here at Charm to Spellcast. We ask the big stuff, the hard stuff. We ask the hard questions. <laughs> we do. So you can have a very fun time in the comments of our SoundCloud, um, which is, by the way, my preferred platform is SoundCloud. Cool. We also are on Spotify now, though. We are on Spotify. We're also on Google Play. And we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on, yeah, I guess it's not called iTunes anymore, which is blasphemous to me <laughs> um, because that's where all my music was. But yeah, so, uh, you know, choose your favorite platform. This is like a two part ask. Choose your favorite platform in the comments. Tell us what do you define as karaoke? <laughs> um, and that's the episode. Thanks, folks. <laughs> Thanks for tuning um, in. As, as, my, as my men are keeping. Well, this month has been an interesting month because it is the it's it's sept it's not always September, but it's usually close to September, which is the month the most full with Jewish holidays back to back to back. Um, it's the Jewish New Year. It is the Day of Atonement. It is our day of like har- it's like our harvest festival basically, and like which which celebrates. Of course, the the fruit of the earth, but it also celebrates our ability to create like a shelter and a hearth and a home. So it's a really lovely stretch of holidays. Um, And I think it's one that that lends itself to a lot of introspection and reflection, which is really nice. And last year, I kind of got more into it. I've been having more of a return to the Judaism not as much that I grew up with, but more just like on my own terms, backgrounded and and uh, founded on what I grew up with. But this year, as as hard as I tried, as much as I wanted to, I just had such a difficult time being observant of the holidays and and really being observant of anything that's not work. Um, but but not even like all of the work that I really want to do, just the work that I'm like contracted for. So it's been, it's been a month that's been really rough because I felt pulled in, in two different directions of like really desiring the grounded nature of, of, of the framework that the holidays provide. I, I think of them really as just like a framework, like a prompt of like, here, here is your time to reflect and do what you will with that. Um, so I've I've been having the call to that, and then I've also been having just like a distracted, uh, frantic kind of depression, which fucking sucks, my guys. It really does. Um, and and sometimes I feel a little you know odd about being very candid and frank about my mental health. Um, but then I remembered uh, the people who listen to this are used to me talking about that on this podcast. And uh, we we haven't had anyone protest yet and be like, this is indecent. Um, so thank you for understanding that we are not the BBC. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's my manner keeping. I know it's not that exciting, unfortunately. Um, it's, it's a downer. But... It's it's just kind of what's going on, but this this week I'm as I said I'm currently dog sitting, and this week I've been forced to wake up at like seven thirty to feed the dog and the cat, 
and then take them out, not the cat, <laughs> take the dog out at eight um, and go on a walk. And the weather is changing a little bit. It's starting to become fall, which is really, really lovely. Technically, it's already fall, but it's now it's starting to kind of inch toward that. And the last few mornings, it's it's been the cr- kind of like crisp, sunny, slightly cooler day that I'm so excited for. Yeah. I'm definitely an autumn baby. Yes. You are are like a summer autumn baby, I feel like. Yeah, but I don't like summer in New York. Uh, That's right. Well, you just don't like New York. Uh, That's also true. (laughs) But I I understand it. Fall in New York is gorgeous, and it feels so lovely. And I really hope that, well, first of all, if I can keep, if I can get myself to bed early enough, that I can wake up and continue to enjoy that like sensorial experience of the kind of rejuvenation of fall. Even though it's like, the leaves are dying and things are falling and everything's turning brown. It, it also just feels like a wake up, like a little crisp wake up. Mm-hmm. And... And I hope time to refocus a little bit and to not feel as frantic and as caught up in in work because I mean I know why I'm caught up in work it's because uh, because of money <laughs> because of this thing called money but but ultimately I don't think it really serves me that well to ignore the call to introspection and to um spiritual fulfillment mm-hmm. in in favor of well i'm just going to keep distractedly chugging along yeah thank you as always for being a little bit vulnerable sharing a little bit about the tougher parts of your life i hope that in the coming months as we get deeper into fall that you will start to find that moment of recharge and that moment of like connection to who you feel and what you want to feel Uh, like on the inside and I especially hope that when we do our trip upstate together to go peep some leaves that that will be a really centering moment I'm so excited for that storm king here we come oh no I told them where we're going oh god oh god they're gonna they're gonna be like you didn't invite me Uh, bring me back a leaf and I'm gonna be like I can't carry leaves they will crumble in my hands. Take nothing but footsteps. Leave nothing and, but And memories. also leave, leave nothing. <laughs> leave your memories. Leave Take just... your footsteps. What happened here, you'll never know. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, amnesia, probably. So anyway, that's, that's my manner keeping. Um, the dog is sleeping peacefully in the sun right now. It's very, very cute. And I think that is all that I have in me, aside from the lovely, lovely, lovely turn of the season, which means it's time for those frozen Halloween cookies. (laughs) Um, It is definitely becoming Halloween season everywhere you go. I am into it so much. Ah! Yeah! I love spookiness! (laughs) Shit! I love it. I love spookiness that's not scary. Yeah, yeah, it just can't be. 
Just campy. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a whimp. I'm a whimp. So just, just pumpkins and skeletons and like Coney Island spookorama <laughs> is what I'm, is what I'm excited for. Um, it's Halloween. And uh, cinnamon stick um, brooms. Brooms. Yes. Yes. I. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Finish your thought. I'm so excited for when we get to watch my favorite Charmed Halloween episode. It's not until season three, <laughs> unfortunately. But believe you me, I will be going bonkers. What a great segue. As you all know, we co- have convened here to talk about Charmed. What? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> I'd like to start the minutes here. Um, okay. Today we are beginning a conversation around season two, episode eighteen, chick flicks. Chick flick, chick flick. This episode is such a dear one. It's it's so near and dear to my heart. I as I was watching it, I realized that I remembered like almost every word. Oh my goodness. Um, not I couldn't like recite it from memory, but like as, it's like karaoke of the TV. When when you're watching and mm-hmm. as you're seeing the words come up, you're like, yes, of course. I I also really liked this episode because it was just so funny. Like I felt like the actors were having mm-hmm. a good time, and because because it was so like tropey, but like Halloween campy tropey, which I was very yes. into. So silly. So season two, episode eighteen, Chick Flick, was directed by Michael Schultz. It was written by Chris Levinson and Zach Estrin, and it aired April 20th, 2000. Thank you, thank so, you. So, n- not at all an October <laughs> watch, but, but to me it really feels like it should be. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess we're just going to dive into it. Uh, you have a couple of big things you want to talk about, and I, I want to leave like a lot of space for you to be able to discuss that. <laughs> and I want to leave. And I, I, and I want... To go. And I'm going um, home. Let's, let's give ourselves our three little plot lines. Ah. Okay. Ah. Ah. Okay. Those. So I can start. Um, we've actually, like, this this far into season two, like, a lot of stuff have been happening emotionally for the sisters. So I feel like yeah. this is an episode where, like, there's just a lot of drama happening for them, like, internally, like, in their personal lives. So Piper has started dating... Um, Leo and uh, she there's no real like animosity between her and Dan but there's just like this you know sense of discomfort and guilt that's that's pretty much her plot (laughs) that's her arc for this show awkward to see your man out in the wild and he's not your man anymore and now (laughs) he's with another person Oopsie Daisy, and you're with the person that you chose instead of him. Oh dear, oh dear. Um, Oh dear. One thing that I did enjoy learning about Piper in this episode is that she's a romantic comedy girl, and that fits so well. That's so funny to me, because I feel like she would watch a ton of romantic comedies, but she would yell at all of them. (laughs) Of like, what are you? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that's so stupid? You know? Yeah. No, she's she's totally like very practical minded, which like romantic comedies aren't. But I think that she's a real soft spot and a real like romantic side to her that would just like love the the comfort 
and the predictability of a rom-com. Absolutely. I think she'd be, like, crying by the end of it. <laughs> kind of, like, she just can't help it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Prue is on a different storyline of her own. And actually, everyone's on a different storyline, but they all converge quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, she is pursuing her dreams of being a photographer. And she's going out for being a... a f- oh, gosh. Photojournalist. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry, Angie. Um, I forgot the name of your profession. And she is assigned this guy who has been her hero as a photographer and she's taking his portrait for a magazine profile about him and she learns that you should never meet your idols Mm -hmm. i really actually wish they could have done more of that um storyline but it was still good um it was definitely only there for like the gag of how they like killed the demon Oh, true. I, I think it was also like they were trying to figure out because um, this episode is about the demon of illusion. And I think they're trying to figure out, like, how can each sister like realize the faultiness of illusions or something like that? Mm, that makes sense. Um, the the solubility <laughs> of of their ideals. Yeah, they just they just melt so quickly, just disperse. Um, All right, last storyline is Phoebe, and she's going through a kind of romantic moment of her own where she wants to find someone, but she's been having a hard time, and she decides to go back to basics and watch um, her favorite movie. She's also been, like, watching a lot of horror movies recently, like going out to the old revival theater, and her favorite movie includes a character named Billy, who was her first um, crush. Ugh. And uh, I guess there's more to it this episode where she has to, like, she finally gets to meet Billy and she has to let him go. Yeah, this episode is very relatable for me. Um, I think that it's both relatable and it may have actually formed a lot of my ideas in in this topic of, like, idealizing romantic partners mm. and using what's on the screen and using that as like a template or a Mm. comparison to what's in your real life which is extremely toxic because the people who are on the screen are just created by other people Mm -hmm. so it's like they're in they're entirely creations they're not real but they're also formed like romantic heroes for instance are only formed by the ideals of like one or two other people so mm-hmm. it's hard it's hard to understand like how much dependence you have on the ideals of other people if you're basing your own romantic ideals off of like a film or like a cultural piece of work. Um but that's the illusion, I suppose. Yeah, that's I'm excited to hear more about that because you did watch this as a young person, so I can see how like it would affect the way that you think about relationships and the way you think about um i don't know the the things the sisters are going through because for me watching it as an old person i really reflected (laughs) on (laughs) ancient (laughs) i really watching it for me i like kind of didn't pay attention to the romantic stuff as much i was really into the whole realization that people are obsessed with the idea of 
television being reality or reality being television and like crossing the line between the two. And we have all mm. we have all these shows now. Like WandaVision is kind of like crossing the line. Like the line gets really fuzzy for Wanda. Um, I remembered my one of my really favorite films back in the day was Pleasantville, which had Tobey Maguire and he um, and his sister. I think they like go into their favorite 1950s television show, and they like slowly start introducing all the characters to like um, this. This is what the world looks like because their geography class is like just limited to like Main Street and. Elm Street or something like that because that's all oh my their God. Is. Um and it's in black and white and as each television character becomes like more fleshed out and as they start to like become curious about the world they change into they like start to become colored and it was a really good show a movie yeah that there is a lot of stuff in in our popular consciousness I think about about characters on the screen coming to life mm-hmm. um, which is really funny because they come to like to other characters on the screen. Yeah, it's very meta. And uh, the last thing I guess I was going to say about that was it's kind of related to your introspection about this um, episode, which is that when people look at um, or are so obsessed with like the boundary between reality and television and the thought of crossing between the both between both, it reminds you that there really is no reality on television. It's all fake. And it's all <laughs> fake. Everything is devised. That's and, right. <laughs> and you and you start to get like when you, when you start to like place values on these fake characters, you start to like realize like what do Oh, I'm losing my train of thought. No, no, no. You can get you can get back on this brace. Let's go. Let's go. Um, <laughs> oh, you start to get really um, thoughtful about like what do I think is reality? Like, how do I think people should act and people should feel? And, um, yeah, like, what am I treating as real life? Absolutely. I think it's, I think the media is most successful, um, well, in a couple, in a couple of ways. Of course, there's just this idea of, like, art for art's sake, which is just art that doesn't necessarily have a political or social or emotional purpose it's just it's because it's allowed to do that like it's allowed to break every single rule it's allowed to do whatever it wants um but then i i don't really subscribe to that as much i think that art always has like an emotional or political or social context and nothing is created in a vacuum and that art is most successful when you feel something and a lot of the time when you take something away about yourself from like you said like it's it's a mirror Mm. it's and everybody is going to take away something different because of who they are not because of what the art is necessarily yeah yeah okay that's that's good too i it always comes back i guess to the big question of like does art inform life or does like life and form art which is not really which a big is question. <laughs> a false you know it's a false equation because people are producing art yeah that it's it's kind of like that idea in oh geez well i think it's an idea in many things probably like quantum physics probably in like sociology but the second you observe something you've already changed the nature of what's being observed Mm-hmm. absolutely 
Okay, uh, shall we? Shall in- interesting conversation about art from two experts on art. Yeah, yes. the, the conversation was like starting to get away from me for a moment there. So um, let's maybe just dive into the show. Yeah, let's physically dive into the show. Wow. Now I am going to be best friends with Piper. I'm just kidding. She would probably find me annoying. No, I That's don't think okay. she would. I don't think she would. It's, it's okay, Bryce. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so one of one of the first things that sticks out to me about this episode is literally that Phoebe is like down on her luck romantically and she's also really stressed about school and so what does she do in order to relieve herself she goes to the repertory theater or i guess it's called it's called the revival house um Mm. which is a very fun way of saying it but i think of it as repertory because they have you know all sorts of programming of things that have been out for a long time in the world Mm. um but it is so relatable i feel like Anytime that I'm stressed, I'm like, what would make me feel better? Getting the stuff done that I need to or going to a movie <laughs> or um, or actually going to something that I've seen before mm. into the, that comfort movie. And so I just think that's that's very silly when the episode starts and, and Prue and Piper are talking about their various frustrations, Piper specifically with having to break up with Dan, even though he's a... He's a good, decent man, Dan the man, <laughs> and Prue experimenting with her photography and, and trying to prepare herself, um, and Phoebe coming in with her, her sigh. <laughs> yeah. Of, oh, go on. Oh, I saw, you know, you know, who, who, they ask her, who, who was it this time? You know, what's his name? She goes, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> And it's the old character from one of her favorite films, Kill It Before It Dies. <laughs> what a great title. What a great title. I hadn't really picked up on that, but that's... I love that. Absurd. It's just so absurd. Oh, but okay. So this is... Not not only not only is this relatable and that that's just what I do, but it starts our big question or the big, the big concern of idealizing romantic partners from what you see on screen. Phoebe's whole journey throughout this episode is realizing that she's not going to find a man like Billy because Billy, the hero of Kill It Before It Dies, this squeaky clean 50s letterman jacket wearing um, man who doesn't condone swearing in front of the ladies, you know, and gives a a right hook to the villain, um, he simply doesn't exist. He is special to her, of course, and and he comes to life through the uh, the demonic <laughs> properties of the, the demon of illusion mm-hmm. who brings all the characters off of the screen into real life, hopefully to kill the charmed ones, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wonder if he succeeds. Um <laughs> Guess there won't but, be an episode nineteen of season two. Well, that's it. That and that's the end of Charmed to Spellcast. Um, but he, even though he comes to life, and even though she's absolutely in love with him, um, she has to let him go because 
as he reminds her throughout the episode, he's just not real. And so you have to let go of that ideal or else you're going to be forever searching for something that only exists in one form and can't love you back. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bryce. Hey, yourself. Do you know what time it is? Never. Uh, well, it's time to hype our incredible, one-of-a-kind sponsor, Super Yaki. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for film and TV. They've got everything, from super soft t-shirts saluting the brave of us out there who love to watch movies by ourselves, to comfy sweatshirts and aprons commemorating historic events like the night Stanley Tucci made a Negroni. I will never forget it. (laughs) Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and ships using compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And, as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code SUPERCHARMED. All caps, no spaces. At checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. I miss going to the movies so much, but wearing my Super Yaki A Penny Marshall Film shirt does at least give me a little feeling of connection to all our friends out there ceaselessly watching and yelling about movies. I think I want their Jennifer's Body or Judy Greer or Kelly Marie Tran merch next but it is so hard to choose, so maybe I should get all of it. (laughs) Yes, I have a hat. Yeah, you do. So remember, go to superyaki.com and use Supercharmed for 10% off at checkout. You too can have a hat. That's S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I dot com. Okay, so that's what what happens in in the episode. But uh, aside from this, like morality tale you know the lesson that everybody learns of like you have to let go but you can always have a special place in your heart for this person what i what i really thought about is that over the past few years i've been realizing that i take so many of my romantic ideals from television Mm-hmm. Like so many of them. I may have already talked about this before but i'm a little further along in my understanding of this now mm-hmm. um and primar- like one of the biggest ones that made a huge impression on me, aside from like every story that you see that's just a very straightforward rom-com, like very heterosexual, um, pretty, pretty sexist most of the time as well, even when it's like a twist of like, oh, the gal is pursuing the guy. Like there's always something in the end that kind of reasserts a very specific patriarchal structure of like how things should be Mm. in love. Um, Aside from that like general influx, I also realized that I take so much of what I expect from a relationship from Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) This is, I, this is laughable. It's embarrassing. It's so silly. Please tell us more. Okay. All right. All right. You know what? I'm I'm already vulnerable today. Might as well. Um, There are specific lines in Grey's Anatomy in like fights between characters that I didn't realize I had like memorized and like internalized. But it's a lot. They make a lot of. I don't know if anyone's seen Grey's Anatomy, the phenomenon. But they make a lot of declarative state or like exclamatory statements 
on Grey's Anatomy about like, you don't do that to a person that you love. Like that kind of a thing. Mm. This is what love is. Like this is blah, 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 blah. Um, and then like the person walks away. Like that's the, that's the punctuation of whatever the argument is or whatever the scene is, is this like, this like claim, this line. Um, and a lot of those things have stuck with me totally subconsciously as like rules, rules for how two people are supposed to love each other and like care, protect for, protect each other, but also the pace of a relationship. Too. Mm, mm-hmm. Expectations. Expectations, exactly. And it wasn't until the last few years that I really started examining who's setting my own expectations. You know, it has to be me. <laughs> it always has to be the individual person. It like otherwise, who knows what you're falling into. Um but I just hadn't examined any of this like background information that I had that were from uh, totally made up Mc, like McDreamy and stuff like that on, on this soap opera. And it was wild to slow down for a second and be like, why am I upset with the pace of a, some relationship? Why am I upset with this specific thing that's happening? And I would kind of think about it more and be like, Oh, because I think it either has to be this like perfect fairy tale or it's not real or I think that it has to follow these specific rules of like devotion and like codependency mm-hmm. that are exhibited by these extremely dramatic characters on television. <laughs> That's not the good foundation for any sort of relationship. Definitely. Yeah, I was I was going to say that for me, it's never like, oh, I have all these ideal like expectations because of rom-coms and because of like romance books. But I instead have this like twisted idea of love, especially when you read a lot of fanfic, Ooh. like it's always so tragic. Like love has to be tragic. Oh, that's true. Well, people sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's like love is about sacrifice yeah. and it's. I mean, I think it's a lot less, it's a lot more mundane than that in a lot of ways. It's like, yeah, sure, love, sometimes you have to sacrifice things, but um, maybe you're sacrificing that, oh, you have to walk from your apartment to take the train to go to your partner's apartment, (laughs) and you don't really want to, but uh, that's what you have to do if you want to see them, because that's just how you get from one place to another it's like tiny things yeah like that it's it's also just like i wouldn't call it sacrifice but like compromise like you realize that you have to give some part of yourself and do things that you don't want to do so that you can be with the person that you want to be with exactly and the compromises are not as dramatic as Grey's anatomy might have it seem Mm -hmm. for instance for instance if you want a baby and your partner doesn't Perhaps that that should not happen anymore. Perhaps your relationship should change in some way. 
perhaps there doesn't have to be a shooter in the hospital and that makes you reconsider all your life choices <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> and decide that yes you will have a baby because you were just that you just went through a dramatic and traumatic event and your entire uh, your entire ideal system has changed around because you love a person you know yeah you, you know what they say there's no better time to make a life-changing decision than right after a big traumatic event right after trauma that's actually i think that's the perfect time yeah so many people in tv get like married like engaged married have a baby um move in together like all this stuff right Mm -hmm. after an extremely traumatic event like that's the only Mm -hmm. motivation and there's no like planning i mean if we take it all the way back to shakespeare like every single um wait Okay, you know this better than me, but there are like two types of Shakespeare plays, and one of them always ends in marriage. And I feel like oh yes, the comedy, the comedy yeah. always ends with a wedding. Yeah, yeah. Or marriage, yeah. And I kind of see it like that. Like no matter what happens, we're gonna go through all this thing. We're gonna go through all these like highs and lows and plot twists and whatever, and then we're gonna have a marriage. Yep, and that's it. That's just the way that life goes. If you want a happy, if you want a comedy, if you want a happy life, it has to end in marriage. Do you think, like, uh, I want to know how you feel like you've evolved since realizing this self, this about yourself um, that you idealize based on romantic television Surprise, shows. I haven't. Ah. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I, I, the ways that, the ways in which I have evolved. Um, I feel as though when I start to recognize, when I started to recognize all these kind of influences and the just the pieces of what made up my desires and that they weren't conscious desires, they were really driven by things I had absorbed over the years, especially as a kid. Um, I think I've kind of realized that there doesn't have to be a plan. Mm. And that's been something that is like my my plan does not have to match up with the dramatic um oh what's it called Spont- spontaneity it doesn't have to match up with the dramatic romantic spontaneity of television mm-hmm. basically um actually it doesn't have to match up with anything it doesn't have to go any certain way i can i can think about it and i can go specifically after what i want what i think feels good um and i can also change course at any time and reevaluate and try things and fail and it won't be a huge deal i guess yeah i think that's the other thing about real life versus a nice tidy plot that gets wrapped up with a marriage at the end is that we always expect like you said that there has to be like a rubric for like first you do this and then you do this and then you have the climax of the movie and then the third act and then the denouement and it's not, that's not how life is. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I also remember how this kind of reminds me of what you were saying as a critique about uh, the Aretha Franklin um, biopic that came out recently. I haven't mm-hmm. seen it. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a lot of like criticism about it because it wasn't able to deal with real life un, left undone or like not yet neatly wrapped up um, problems in Aretha's life. Yeah. Because they need to resolve it. It's it's hard to do that. It's hard to make a biopic in any sort of circumstance, I think, because of that. Because it's really hard to deal with the messy stuff without, like, teaching a lesson. Mm -hmm. Or 
or deciding if it's a comedy or a tragedy mm-hmm. and ending in death or ending in marriage. Yeah, you, you, you need to follow a formula and you need to close the movie at the, at the, at eventually, like you, you need to have a conclusion. Absolutely. And the, something that I had talked to someone about very recently, um, and I think it matches up with, with narrative film and, and media, especially like romantic comedies, um, is that there's this idea of the relationship escalator. Mm. In I are I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, I feel like I it speaks for itself, but carry on because I don't I've never actually like heard the term. Yes, so I think it's a brilliant analogy, which is that most people are on or feel like they have to be on the relationship escalator, which without even understanding what it is or knowing that they're on it, which is that you step on. <laughs> And you're, you're just being moved through the stages of a relationship, which is you meet someone, you date, you become monogamous, like committed to each other, you move in together, you get engaged, you get married, you have a kid. And then you die. And, and that's it. And <laughs> then you die. Yes. It, ascending into heaven. Then you die. Um but just this idea that like you're just on this course and that's the only course that there is and you are not moving yourself forward necessarily by a conscious decision you're just following a pattern that is laid out and the thing is you absolutely can do that like all of those things many people do that and are happy but the point is you can you don't have to do that you can step off at any time at any point step sideways you know go backwards anything it doesn't you don't have to be moved forward by unknowable forces that have decided that this is what you need to do yeah like you, people are like oh you're at this age you should be married by now and that, yeah that's someone else's expectation exactly exactly um, and i think mm-hmm. that today Sorry. No, I know going. we're so so deep in this and we've only discussed the teeniest bit of charm plot. Um, and today today I would like to make the comparison of, of the relationship escalator to the like three structure plot or the three three act structure of a narrative mm-hmm. in this idea of like this is the only way to do it. This is what Save the Cat is all about. This is what screenwriting is all about. Mm. This is what story structure is. Um, when the fact is there are so many stories that have completely different pathways. Mm. There are stories that, that have no plot. There are stories that have just texture. There are stories that have backwards plots or, mm. or they're just vignettes or they're mixing, you know, mm-hmm. there are actually just so many different ways that any story or any relationship or any life can go. And sometimes all it really takes is recognizing that these structures are in place and that you can mess around with them. Yeah, that that was so good. I, I really, I feel like it also made me think a little bit more, like your introspection made me introspective because I don't think that I had have these romantic ideals from television, but I think because of the whole like, your life must start this way and then you go to college and then you get a job and blah blah, blah. I like 
because that has been ingrained into my brain from not just movies, but like many other social structures, I feel mm-hmm. like to me, our, I've been scared of the idea of this relationship escalator because to me, it shows how your life can just be reduced down to a very predictable set of actions. And so that's why I'm always like, I don't think I want to be married because that means that I'm on the escalator and that means that mm. that my life is no different from anyone else's. And it, I mean, not that... Not that I have any illusion that, ooh, illusion. Not that I have any illusion <laughs> that, I, that I'm not, not any more special than anyone else in this world. But still, the fear of oblivion, the fear of like my life is just these check boxes and that's mm. it. I think that that is untrue because you think about it. Um, I think that that's, that's the biggest point is if you're making a conscious decision that this is what you want or this is what you don't want, you know, mm-hmm. either way, or just this is what you're lukewarm about. <laughs> but <laughs> if you're making those conscious decisions, you're pausing, you know, you're not just being carried. And if you know that you have the ability to go whatever way best suits you, whatever you really want to do, you're not just doing check boxes. Yeah. I think the that's really well said, and I really appreciate that summation. I was going to say that um, one other topic that I want to talk about in this episode, beyond just like romantic idealism, is just like the idea of uh, TV idealism. Like you have your stereotypes, mm. and the, the whole um, issue nowadays is that we have reality TV, so now we like think that all these actions are like, oh, okay, so these people interact this way, so maybe I should be interacting this way. Um, And so- Oh no. (laughs) So I, when you were watching, when we were watching this, you had a realization about like the romantic idealism. And when I was watching this, I had a realization about like the blurring of reality and how like we think that our lives should match what we see on TV. And also like what we see in social media and TikTok and you know, all of that. And so that's why even though I recognize that I am being thoughtful about my (laughs) my life escalator and that that the 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 very mere fact of that proves that I'm not, you know, succumbing to the life escalator, even then I still feel pressure because of this idea that I have to follow like even if I decide to step off the life escalator, there will still be judgments and there will still be, it, people will look at you because this is how, oh man, I don't think I'm explaining this very well. Um, because society expects a very certain pathway and even though you don't choose it, you still exist in society and people will still look at you and they'll still judge you and they'll still like um, compare you. Mm. As uh, as my favorite relationship um, on the new L word generation two <laughs> would say, as uh, as Danny would say to Gigi, fuck them. Um, <laughs> can you tell what I've been watching? What what bad dramatic <laughs> romantic show I've been watching? Um, that's I think that makes sense because like art. Uh, individuals don't exist in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. There will be people who judge. There will be people who have their own ideas about what other people should be doing. Many people, in fact. And I, I actually think 
those who are more, I think it is more evolved of people to like, just realize that they don't have to give a shit about the choices that other people make for themselves. Um, in term, in terms of like life choices, not in terms of like, um, being an anti-vaxxer for, (laughs) for instance, but in terms of like family structure, relationship structure, chosen family, biological family, how they exist in relation to others. Um, I think that it takes a lot to realize that judging other people for their choices doesn't have to take up any space in your brain. Yeah, I, I think that's something that I definitely still tr- struggle with. Like, I, I, I think that I need the approval of every stranger I pass on the street. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> so, like, it is still something that I'm coming to terms, or not coming to terms with, but it's still something that I'm trying to teach myself, which is, like, don't care so much about what other people think about you. Mm. And also don't idealize other people. Yeah. (laughs) Or what they're doing, or put them on a pedestal, as Prue learns. (laughs) (laughs) And back in Charmed. (laughs) No, I mean, I understand it. I just, I think that the relationship between Prue and this mentor Oh, what the fuck's his name? It's such a made-up name. Finley Beck. Finley Beck. <laughs> this this prize photographer who Prue has been so influenced by and so really cares about like what he thinks of her technique and of and of her um I think that that relationship is actually very demonstrative of like sometimes you idealize a person And so what they think of you and what they project onto you actually hurts more. Mm. Because you give them power Mm -hmm. where they don't don't necessarily have it unless you give them that permission. Ooh, yes, yes. I do, see, I do like the fact that they included Prue's storyline because it was a different version. Like, um, Phoebe's was all about seeing love on on film and like trying to make that her life but um and that was like an illusion but Prue's illusion is oh don't meet your heroes they don't you've made them to be something in your head that they aren't in real life mm-hmm. uh, which I think was a very it's, it's a good choice to include that other type of illusion as well I think so too I think that's really smart and now that you're talking about it it comes together a lot more more than just the gimmick of Finley Beck being like if you leave your film <laughs> under the under the microscope for too long, it burns. Or like under the heat for too long, it burns. And Prue then in turn using that when the demon of illusion is is in the screen and is like, you can never get me here. <laughs> and she's like, wanna bet? I'm going to freaking do something that never happens anymore, which is put the light onto the film, the celluloid that from the projector booth for too long, so it is going to burn the cells of the film and you will be no more. <laughs> um, which, you know, we don't really worry about anymore because we're not working with nitrate film. Um, did you ever have to do that when you were a projectionist? I did. I did. Oh, you I, also I did mean, archival work. I did, yeah. I have worked with with nitrate film, and it is 
it can be smelly. Let me tell you, ah, okay. and that's you don't you don't want that. That's bad. Um, that means that it's deteriorating and that it might be like extra combustible. Mm. But yes, that's putting the light on film for too long is never something that we really worried about. Um, I don't remember the science behind it, <laughs> and I'll tell you at some point. But I, but yeah, sure. If you have like a really strong flame, <laughs> I mean, even even back in the early two thousands, they probably still didn't use that kind of nitrate. Uh, yeah, film. No, maybe it's because they had to set it in the revival house. Oh, oh, I see. So it, they, oh, that's a bummer. They have a really old, rare <laughs> copy of this. this film. And they just fucking burned it. Oh, sad. Um, yeah. Anyway, so so now I, I do like that there's more than just the connection of like how to kill the demon. There is actually two different idealizations. Actually, three. I would say going on, there's Prue's of this photographer who dismisses her. There is Phoebe's of her childhood crush from the screen who she thinks is the perfect man and and the fact that she'll never find a perfect man because only one exists, but actually he doesn't exist at all. And that he's been informing her, her subconscious search for a perfect man. And then there's Piper's. Which is that she is hoping for a normal... She's idealizing a normal relationship. She's romanticizing a boring, mundane, normal relationship. Um, She and Leo have their first date. And they go to the restaurant. And she is thinking about work. And she is apologizing for like discussing this illusion demon that she just can't get out of her brain and leo's like you're the one who wanted to keep work out of the day not me <laughs> like this is this is fine we can talk about whatever you want because you're hot and i'm happy to be here oh, with you leo's so in love it's so fucking cute um and then the most normal of things happens i would say like something that i've experienced which is that Dan shows up with his new his new gal, mm-hmm. um, and is the person that they has to pass the salt um, from their table because they don't have the the place settings and salt and stuff, and it's like oh no, and so Piper freezes everything, <laughs> and is like, I can't believe this. <laughs> I just want a normal night. I just want a nice date, and it's like Piper. Your ex showing up to your first date is actually super normal. That so relatable. Um, but but she she wants what she's calling normal, but I think what she really wants is like perfect. I think she wants stability. I think she wants yeah. a quiet life ultimately. Yes, a quiet a quiet life, which I don't blame her for at all. But to a point where nothing that they're attempting is really making her all that happy Mm -hmm. because she knows that it's not a normal life Mm -hmm. is, is what I kind of took away from that. And Leo gets called up by the, by the elders to to go orb away. Um, And of course that is very upsetting. And she asks him, okay, if we can't have a normal first date, can we at least get like a normal goodbye? 
And so he walks out the front door before orbing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is something that Piper and Leo talk about later in the episode, too, about, well, we didn't have a normal first date, and is it always just going to be like this? And, you know, Leo evidently is is very willing to do whatever, you know, whatever he can to match Piper's expectations. Mm-hmm. And But you just get the feeling that, like, this is going to continue to be a real sticking point, a real difficulty Ooh. is this is this inability to have a quiet normal life like the one that Piper has pictured. Yeah. Mhm. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you caught on to this because I had not, but it's it's the kind of illusion of like the Wonder Years or like really old sitcom mm. television shows that are like <gasps> the the idea that like your life is perfect if it's got the um white picket fence and the dog and the nice house and Mm -hmm. piper wants that because she thinks that that is what is the thing to have that's the key to happiness yeah exactly and honestly like i get it because I would not be wanting to run, running, wanting to be running around like chasing after demons all day. Even not chasing after demons, having a demon come into your house and be like, "What, what, silly witches, tricks are for demons," or you know, <laughs> fucking wisecracking at me, like, be like, "Get the fuck out of my house." I know. This is this is a Sunday. I'm reading the newspaper, <laughs> you know. So yeah. I get it. Yeah, I get it. It's not. It's not such an unreasonable request to like have some quiet time <laughs> to yourself but i think that in her frustration piper has taken it further yeah i think so to those to those wonder years well it always comes yeah. to the sisters have unrealistic expectations they do because they live a fucking wild life <laughs> and yeah. as as last episode uh demonstrated i believe it was last episode sometimes you got to get rid of your favorite boots because a demon <laughs> exploded. You vanquished a demon all over them. So yeah. what a freaking bummer. But not just the sisters. Like it, it, We've been talking about this the entire spell cast, uh, this episode of it at least, which is that we all have unrealistic expectations because of what we see, because of the way that we've been shaped by the stories in our lives. Absolutely. And I think like a positive spin on that is the idea of a possibility model, mm. which is is uh, is taking this idea of like all the subconscious implications of something and turning it into something very conscious and very aware and like present, which is seeing a film um, or whatever piece of media, reading reading something, whatever. And seeing something within it and thinking, wait a minute, I really like that. I think I think that's possible for me. It, yeah. But it's the difference is that it's that conscious decision again of like taking pieces that you really enjoy about something rather than, I think for me when I was younger, taking pieces totally without thinking about it and just being like, that's how it has to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's not this, it's not legitimate. And, and I think that 
when we become more sophisticated in our consumption of media, like we start to read more diverse books or we start to read, watch more diverse movies, we start to realize that there is many there are many different pathways and that there isn't this um, basic pattern that we thought there was. Like there are many different stories out there. Exactly. And thankfully, you know, there's not a movie ending that we get trapped in the celluloid. Like we actually are able, <laughs> we're able to break out of anything. We're able to splice things together. Ha 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 ha. Damn, that was um, good. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and, and Classic good something. film joke. Uh, yes. One every few episodes. I can uh, promise you that. Um, and yeah. And, and create something that feels like it's entirely ours because it's a total mishmash of things that really suits us Mm -hmm. so that was a great conversation i'm just gonna push us right ahead to the demon death if you're okay with that yeah that sounds great the many demon deaths the many demon deaths so how are you how what are you thinking demon death wise um demon death wise i would love to talk about just how much i enjoy the concept of taking classic movie villains Mm mm-hmm and having them go after the sisters, I thought it was so funny. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was a little scary too, because they were referencing a bunch of you know different horror movies kind of successfully. Um, like the one of the funniest things about the chase sequence after the demon of illusion, like magics all of the uh, the villains off of screen, and they go find the charmed ones to kill them. Was Piper hiding in the shower? Oh, and yeah. <laughs> when when they're chasing her, and they're doing a lot of different like camera techniques this episode, which is fun as well. And Piper like is running around. And she closes the bathroom door, hops in the shower, and then she has this moment to herself, which is a movie villain is chasing me and I'm hiding in the shower. (laughs) Yeah. Which was so fun. So like everything building up to all the demon deaths was so great. I thought, cause it was funny. It was also a little exhilarating and it was a little scary. Wow. I had the exact same reaction. I was like, I love this Scooby-Doo running this way, running into each other, screaming. I love the, like moments of silliness and funniness and like the quips that they're able to bring out. I really enjoyed every, every like scene up until the death um, mm-hmm. in this, Same. in this episode. What did you think about the deaths? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like maybe it is hard to ever encapsulate the like tr- drama of, of um, who was the first death? Jeremy, Jeremy, um, Jeremy, yeah. yeah. Because like I was a little underwhelmed by like, oh okay, they're melting. They're like celluloid that's been melting, um, and it was right. like it was like a very quick, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And it, and it was also very quick. And you're like, I don't know. It was like underwhelming, but like the chase sequences up to it, the like funny quips, the the way that the girls were so funny and so frantic, in this time in a, in a very acceptable way, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I just really enjoyed all of the death sequences. Yeah, the the arc of the death yeah. sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Everything was a little movie within a movie. Mm-hmm. 
And they, they were breaking the fourth fun. wall too by like recognizing like this is a movie. Yeah, yeah. Literally breaking the fourth wall when all the villains like came out of the screen, mm-hmm. which was fun. And then a somewhat, somewhat, a little bit breaking the fourth wall when they switched up their techniques and like gave everyone a little death. I did really enjoy the like throwing the toaster. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very silly. Like, oh, it gets electrocuted. Aha! It was, it was stupid. It was fun. Um, yeah, and I, I, I thought that the last death for the the demon of illusions mm-hmm. was more satisfying than all of the other ones, primarily because he was the main villain, mm-hmm. and like they actually gave him a little bit of time to be creepy and weird. And he was so funny as a villain because he, like Barbus, I think he has a lot of flair. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of style. Mm-hmm. He's a little goatee. Um, His long cape thing, coat thing. Long cape, long hair, <laughs> like the the eyeliner. It's. I thought it was all great. But I thought that the cheesiness of his death of like Prue getting to give a little I always call these like Buffy one-liners mm-hmm. whenever she like says something right before killing a villain or like staking a vamp or something mm-hmm. but the little one-liner that she gives of like you know you know if you put it too long under the heat it burns or under the light it burns um, I enjoyed that even though it was silly and mm-hmm. I did enjoy the like you know little acid burn mm-hmm. or cigarette burn yeah the effect I, I i honestly don't know what i expect of a demon death in order for it to be five out of five jeremy's do i expect them to blow up and like turn into fireworks or something because if i had to rate the demon death itself i'd be like ah, eh, it was kind of cool like it was a cool effect but maybe like mm-hmm. two jeremy's out of five jeremy's but if i had to rate like the whole uh run up to that death sequence and like how fun it was and how and how like um, silly it was, and how just like action packed it was. I would be like, yeah, that was five out of five, Jeremy's. Like, do I need to rate the actual image of the death, or should I rate the whole like run up to the death? I think you can do both. Because mm. I would, I would give like the whole thing. I would give like a five out of five Scooby Doo Jeremy's. Like that <laughs> was excellent. So I'm, I'm right up there with you with like. The entirety of it, and I think for the individual, they're a little lower. Mm-hmm. Just, but the, this was an ensemble effort. Yeah, this was such an entertaining episode. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> um, and I, I will say that I don't think that this this episode was as formative in terms of like my romantic ideals as it was just like the kind of episode of television that I love to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the all the impressionable bits about me about my my romantic psyche came later. Yeah, and, and this was also just a great episode for you to reflect on that and bring it to uh, the, the spellcast for another great episode. Yes, another perfect episode. Ten out of ten. Five out of five. Jeremy's. <laughs> um, please rate and subscribe. Please rate and subscribe. I feel like when we end this podcast, when we when will we end this podcast? After eight seasons. Eight okay. Seasons. So when we get to the final 
season, the final episode of the final season. When we are old and decrepit. When we are old and decrepit of Charmed the Spellcast, I think we are going to have to go out with a villain death. (laughs) I, I feel like we are going to have to construct one on this pod. That is so good. And I, I think that by that time, hold us to it, everyone. I think that by that time, like your audio skills will be such that we can do it, or we can like film one. Yeah, I was just thinking about like, well, we could film one. But I was thinking about when you were saying that we should go out with a demon death. I, I liked that idea because I was like, oh, it's gonna be like radio theater. Yeah, I would, I would do that. Anyway, we'll figure it. We've got a long time to figure it out. <laughs> We're only barely to the the end of season two, so I think we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Bryce, Bryce, do you think we'll still be friends by season eight? Mm, we might be dire enemies. Okay, that's fine. I'll take that. I just it can't be anywhere in between. You know, <laughs> it's got to be one or the other. Um, um, yeah. Sorry. Go on. Okay. Okay. So that's yes. I this whole episode is a five out of five Scooby Doo. <laughs> five Scoobs. Five Scoobs, which is funny because that's also what the group, the gang on Buffy is called. Oh, really? They're called all the, uh, this, the Scooby gang. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. And I would have gotten away with it. I get, yeah. I feel like Scooby-Doo is a very formative movie <laughs> or in like the history of um, television shows about young people fighting demons. It really was, which is very funny because like, why? You know, it's... It's a ridiculous show. Yeah, it's great. I, it's I great. I have Scooby-Doo. no, I have no complaints. No complaints about Scooby Doo. Maybe we should do an episode that's a Scooby Doo. Um, <gasps> Be so into it. Okay. Well, you heard it here first, folks. We're making a lot of promises on this <laughs> this episode. We're telling you like how to how to maintain your relationship to yourself and to your romantic partners. Uh, we are telling you that we are going to do two very special things, a demon death of our own and also a Scooby-Doo episode. Um, we are promising that Shayna is going to have better mental health by fall. My God. This is where wow. we have unrealistic expectations. You're right. You're right. Uh, with that, <laughs> uh, Bryce, do you have any final words? Mm, final words, final words. Um, I, I think my final word will be that this entire episode happened, I think, in mostly one night, which I think was so great because they got it felt so action packed and just like boom, boom, boom. And I never felt like the plot was lagging. And because of that, we got to experience the entire episode uh, with Phoebe in a mermaid, or sorry, Miami High mermaid swim team T-shirt, and I was grateful for that. Hell yeah, that that is wonderful. Thank you. I like that detail. And your last words. My last words. <laughs> I'll put it on your gravestone. Take these with care. <laughs> heed them well, etc. Um, my last word is that. What if it was just like no? <laughs> my my last word is no. Uh, is that there are a lot of circumstances uh, that you can't control around you, <laughs> your environment. Your financial situation, what other people do. Sometimes a even lot of your shit. emotions. Yeah, oh, emotions are complete. Like, I know that there's a lot of focus on like staying calm and staying collected, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's I think it's really okay to recognize that 
emotions happen. You have to experience emotions if you're going to let them go. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Just like Phoebe had to experience <sighs> Billy before she could let him go. Ah! Anyway. So, we're so good at this! Shit! <laughs> Um, but what I was <laughs> what I was most going to say is that there are a lot of uncontrollable variables in life, um, but that you can still make choices and set boundaries and go after things that feel really good, and that with somebody's idea of what feels good is not doesn't have to be yours. That that can be entirely up to what you discover, what you experiment with. And what you decide for yourself, what you take away. So no matter what the uncontrollable variables are suggesting, somebody else's idea of what something should be, you can have your own. And whatever whatever judgments may come from that s- simply don't matter that much. Well, it's no Miami High Mermaid Swim Team t-shirt, but... It's not. It's not. It is basically... My my last word basically is no, actually. <laughs> no, I, I think, as always, I think every, every time you come up with your last thoughts in an episode, it's always a very good, well-put-together sentence that just, I think, has a lot of thought in it. Um, so thank, thank you, you again for doing it once more. No, thank you. <laughs> No, thank you. And also with no. you. And also, may the may it also be with you. Um, may you also watch a, a Revival House movie that you love. May you watch a movie that you love after listening to this. That is, that is my hope. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's been another meandering, uh, philosophical, self-aggrandizing episode of Charmed Spellcast. We are very happy to have you listen. We're also terrified that anyone is listening at all, but we know that you are. So thank you for that. I'm Shayna. You can find me at Bernadette Teeters on Instagram, at Bernie Teeters on Twitter. <laughs> and you can also subscribe. I'd, I haven't come up with how I'm going to say it this week. You can also subscribe to my newsletter about the movies that make gays great. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> It's called Critically Queer, um, and you can find it shanamacy.substack.com. And what about you, Bryce? You can find me at your best Bryce on Instagram, or, or at Finished Foodstagram, also on Instagram. Or you could just find me um, piling, like covering myself in uh, print editions of Critically Queer, burying myself in it. Oh yeah, baby! <laughs> and together we are charmed as Bellcast. You can email us, charmedspellcast at gmail.com, which you have been, which we're delighted by and surprised. Thank you. We appreciate you so much. We appreciate you. Now, uh, I'm sorry, too, for, you know, our responses. Um, (laughs) And you can also find us at charmedspellcast on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a good day. And you never have to listen to us again. (laughs) But if you want to, we're here. (laughs) If you you want to, I'm very sorry. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Goodbye. The second you observe something, you've already changed the nature of what's being observed. 
That what somebody's idea of what feels good doesn't have to be yours. That what somebody's idea of what feels good doesn't have to be yours. You've been listening to Earbud Media Production. Earbud Media. Audio for everyone.